Hi, I'm Jeff Hebert, and welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's good news for imperfect people like you and me. Well, we're almost at the end of our journey through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We've been following along with Solomon as he's been singing the blues here. We've got one more week after this podcast on Solomon, and then we're going to be taking uh, just one week off to kind of get my mind settled for the next season. And season four is going to be a journey through the Old Testament section called the Minor Prophets. We'll be doing one podcast on each of the 12 Minor Prophets, and hopefully that'll give you a, a larger perspective, a larger view of these great books. And Maybe we'll talk a little bit about why they are so often neglected in uh, Christian circles today. But in today's podcast, we're in the last chapter, chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. And remember, the word Ecclesiastes means the teacher. And as we've seen, it's a, it's a book believed to have been written by Solomon, the ancient king of Israel, whose wealth and power was unmatched in his day. And as we've been working our way through Ecclesiastes, we've discovered why this part of the Bible is often overlooked or ignored entirely by Christians, because it's not an easy book to read. It's seen as being too gloomy, too pessimistic, too disturbing. It doesn't match up with the positive spirituality that's sort of popular in American churches today. It challenges our modern conventional wisdom that God's job is supposed he's supposed to make us happy. Whatever makes us happy, that's what God is supposed to supply. Make me happy, wealthy, healthy, and successful. Ecclesiastes tells a different story. It tells the truth even when the truth is uncomfortable. So he's often dismissed as a curmudgeon, a sourpuss. But what he actually is, is he's a spiritual poet of emotional intensity, who now as an elderly man asks hard questions and seeks to impart his wisdom about life to those who are willing to hear. He has made grievous mistakes in his life, and he's hoping others will learn from the misery that he has brought upon himself. It has taken him a long time to get things right with God. He's on the last lap of his life, and now he has great remorse over the sins and poor decisions that have scarred his life. And he wants to save others from some of the pain he's experienced by helping them get on the right track with God. Solomon is an old man. He sees the end coming. With every sunrise and every sunset, he knows he's one day closer to the end of his life's journey. At long last, he has come to realize the importance of simply walking with his creator. So here in chapter 12, he's looking back over his life and giving this last bit of advice, like a grandfather passing on wisdom to a grandchild. Cynicism and sarcasm are gone now. In this passage, he just wants us to find our way out of the tragedies and the troubles and the difficulties of life before it's too late. That we would find the secret of living, which is simply this, that our lives must be wrapped around God. That's the key, God at the center. So with vivid, vivid, beautiful imagery, Solomon now describes the aging process and our need to know God, our creator. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, and when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, 
when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the, well, the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vapor and mist, says the teacher. Everything is vapor and mist. We're not a culture that reads much poetry. We're not really trained to think poetically. About the best we do are the simple phrases and pop songs and rap music that barely reach the level or of rhyme or rhythm that would qualify as grade school poetry. Just pick any popular song from off the radio and read the lyrics without the music and you'll see what I mean. Besides the vulgar and sexually demeaning stuff, it's a lot of baby, baby, baby. You know, a few rhyming couplets repeated endlessly. And that's about it. So it's no wonder people struggle when they hit a patch of the Bible that's poetic. That creates verbal images to try and to get the reader to feel what is being said rather than just to say it bluntly. But we're not alone in that. Christians from the first centuries onward have struggled with this passage. And in all the ancient commentaries down through the most current writers on Ecclesiastes, they all seem to connect this beautiful imagery to literal aspects of the aging process. And I'll do that in just a second. But don't let that distract you from the overall theme, which is to remember God. Remember God. However old or young you are, from now on, live life fully with God at the center. Wherever you are from this point forward, put God at the center. Remember God, not as an afterthought, but as your first impulse. Christ, the center of your life. In verse 1, Solomon has the same problem faced by all parents. How do you get a young person to listen? It's almost impossible to get younger people to listen to this kind of message because they feel invincible. They've got it covered. They think they're smarter than their elders. You know, has anybody said, okay, boomer to you lately? They're sure nothing bad will ever happen to them. And Solomon knows that's not true. He knows life is very fragile. Life is filled with consequences and inevitabilities. And one of these inevitable things is that you will grow old and you will one day die. He calls these the days of trouble. And here the trouble he's talking about is not the consequences of sin, but the, but the unpleasant reality of physical aging. The older we get, the more our bodies experience physical deterioration. And it can get to the point where a person's spirit gets crushed as well. Part of aging is physical, but part of it is mental too. And like Solomon, when people look back on their lives, they often experience a range of emotions. Some feel guilt. You know, I fouled up my life. I blew it. I hurt people I, that I cared about. If I could do it over, I would do it so differently. But they can't undo the past, and so they're crippled by guilt. Some older people feel useless. They ask, you know, who needs me anymore? They feel their opinions don't matter. Their life's work is forgotten. They feel ignored and in the way. Some feel bitterness and resentment that they got a raw deal. They married the wrong person or they didn't get the breaks that others got. They got wrapped up in self-pity. Others live with a lot of fear, fear over their finances, their health, their death. 
They're confused by all the technology, all the change. It all feels overwhelming. All these things contribute to these days of trouble. No wonder depression is a major problem among the elderly. So in verse 2, Solomon writes of the sun setting and the sky darkening. Most commentators say this refers to the fading of our mental powers of an individual as one grows older. You know, I've read that there are three things that indicate the onset of old age. Uh, losing your memory, and I forget the other two. Oh well. As people age, it's common that our powers of reasoning and perception decline. We now have words in our vocabulary that Solomon didn't have, like dementia and Alzheimer's. This is a hard thing, hard to experience, hard to watch happen in our aging parents or friends to see their mental powers fade like the setting sun. It's even harder to see it happen perhaps in our own lives. Verse 3, Solomon speaks of the keepers of the house, of strong men who stoop, the grinders cease, the windows grow dim. He's speaking of how aging affects our arms and our hands and our legs, things that were once strong that are now unsteady. Our bones weaken. People can be physically bent over. Uh, the grinders are seen as your teeth, and older people often have serious dental problems as they lose teeth. The dim windows are your eyes because vision fades. It's a hard thing for me when I had to admit I needed graduated trifocals. The optometrist said that I had presbyopia. At first, I thought that meant I'd been seeing too many Presbyterians. No, presbyopia means elder eyes. And so came the graduated trifocals. And then with cataracts and other vision problems, no wonder people need a 90-inch TV just to watch Wheel of Fortune. In verse 4, he talks about people rise at the sound of birds. What time do birds start singing? I mean, way too early. How many people struggle with sleep problems as they get older? And one of the worst ironies for retired people is now that you can sleep in, you can't. You can't sleep. You're wide awake. In verse 5, he talks about fears, fears of failing, I mean, of falling, of breaking a hip, afraid to take steps, afraid to climb a ladder. If you clean your own gutters, there will come a time when you will think seriously. You will think twice about climbing that ladder. Someday you'll say, no thanks, it's not worth the risk. Because your bones are more brittle, and a fall for an elderly person can be devastating. Five-year-old kid doesn't need to worry that much about falling because his or her bones are very pliable. But older people, this can be something that's very scary. Scared that they'll get knocked over by a neighbor's dog or even knocked over by the grandkids. It's like they're made of balsa wood and easily broken. The almond blossoms is a reference to the getting gray hair. The first time you look in the mirror and you see a gray hair, who doesn't pluck it out? But eventually, if you keep your hair, you're going to turn into a white dome chia pet, and there's not enough hair coloring in the world to stop that from happening. The image of the grasshopper that drags itself along is probably the most pitiful thing here. It's like that once great athlete whose joints get twisted with arthritis, and this hits really way too close to home with my double knee replacement and the way I've been dragging myself around for the last couple of years because of the arthritis in my knees. As we age, our joints and muscles, they stiffen. It hurts to get out of bed in the morning. You don't move like you used to. You may have difficulty walking. And with all the TV commercials for Cialis or Vi Viagra, we understand what Solomon means about how sexual desire fades. People now age differently, though, than in Solomon's day. Through science and technology, we can postpone many of the symptoms, many of the th these things, and we should. There are medications for the mind, for your heart, orthopedic surgery, hip replacements, glasses, dental care, hearing aids, Ambien, hair transplants, Grecian formula, 
you know, here's a funny story, true story. At a gym where I used to work out years ago, I actually overheard a conversation between two women where a woman told her friend that she secretly put Grecian formula in her husband's shampoo to try to get rid of his gray hair. I kid you not. Yet with all of these helps that we have today that Solomon didn't have, the inevitable is coming for us too. With brutal honesty, Solomon wants people to visualize their own funeral with mourners on their way to the cemetery. Remember God, he says again in verses 6 and 7. Death will come, but he has one hopeful word. The grave is not the end. If he stopped at the end of verse 5, it would be a totally grim picture. But he reminds us that we are more than just a broken down body. We have a soul, a spirit that is eternal. And our spirit will return to the God who made it. And not even the aging process will cancel out God's plan to make you a new person. You are created for eternity. And when you die on this earth, you will then stand before your creator. The body that you have now is dust, but the soul lives forever. And we hear the promise of Jesus who said in John 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know, I've used those passages and even this passage from uh, Ecclesiastes many times in funerals that I've done. Naked we came into this world, naked we'll go out. From the dust that we were made to the dust we shall return. These are very sobering words and they're often words that we don't really want to hear because we want to hear the good stuff, the fun stuff, the encouraging stuff. But what's important here in the soberness of it is to remember God. What does it mean to remember God? That's the key point, whether you're young or you're old or anywhere in between. Remember your creator so you can really enjoy your life now. To remember is more than just a mental process, like, you know, remember to pick up some milk from the grocery store. To remember God is to surrender. It's to recall God's presence daily, to live in a relationship with him where he's at the center, to seek to discover the, the greatness and glories of God, to remember God means to, to remember God means to understand first and foremost that he is our creator and all things are in his hands. The good God who made all things, who said creation was good, and when he made us in his image and likeness, he declared that we were very good. God spoke creation into existence as something beautiful, as something glorious, as something so good. He then made man and woman shaped them in his own hands with loving affection as an expression of his own identity, of his own personhood. He gave creation to us to be enjoyed. The creator God gave us eyes to see color and ears to hear sound and hands to embrace and to create. He gave us breath and life to enjoy the creation that he's given us. He is our creator. And what Solomon is saying is that our universal problem is that people are likely to forget God. They get so busy in the midst of his creation that they forget God altogether. The irony of Solomon's life is that he forgot his creator in the days of his youth. It started off very, very subtly. He loved the Lord. We know that from the initial chapters when we see in Kings. He walked with the Lord. God told him he could have anything that he wanted and he, he asked for wisdom. God was so pleased that he gave him wisdom and power and wealth. 
But Solomon's heart went off track. Before you know it, he's got a thousand wives. When God's way for marriage is one man and one woman, it didn't change. Before you know it, he's allowing the worship of false gods because many of these women that he married, they were part of a treaty with other kings and countries, and they came from places that worshipped various pagan gods, including the god Baal. And to keep them happy, Solomon allowed their pagan worship into Israel. Can you imagine anything worse than that for the king, to be the king who, who is asleep at the wheel and allows pagan worship to flourish in Israel? The followers of Baal went so far as to perform child sacrifice, something God said was detestable and an abomination. How is it possible? How is it possible that a man who wrote and contributed to several books of the Bible, the next to Jesus was supposed to be the wisest man who's ever lived, how is it possible that he ended up condoning the murder of children to these pagan gods? You see, all gods are not the same. All religions don't lead to the same place. Solomon went so far off track. So Solomon had a lot to regret. Folks, no matter what your age, remembering God, delighting in him, enjoying him, and living your life to pursue the passions he gives, if you do that, you will stand in countercultural antithesis to the day in which you live. Young man, this message of our culture to you is you're young, get drunk, use people, do whatever feels good because you only get to be young once. Don't even think about your future. The Bible says if you do that, you're a fool. Same goes for young women. Solomon says, wise up, wise up and say, no, I would rather remember my creator in the days of my youth. I will enjoy the God who created me and who knows how to squeeze the most joy out of life in this life. I will passionately pursue the desires he's placed in my heart so that I can enjoy all my days. This is so important because most people who come to faith in Christ do so while they're relatively young, before they're 30. And it's best before college, while a young person is forming their basic identity. It get, just gets harder with age. We become set in our ways. We get distracted. We get damaged. Temptations take hold. Traumas happen. Patterns set in. Pressures get greater. So with Solomon, we have to say, seek God while you're still open-hearted and not all closed up. Learn the one essential truth of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, the only one who can truly satisfy the human heart is the one who made it. Let me say that again. The only one who can truly satisfy the human heart is the one, the God, who made it. That is the entire message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the beauty of God is this. Some of you today may feel very, very far from God. Okay, and that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God, and there's a great distance between us and God. But here's the good news not only did your creator make you, but your creator will also remake you. Everyone who's listening to this podcast may be very far from God because of sin, but also everyone listening is equally close to God because Christ closes the gap. He closes the gap between you and God that sin creates. Christ closes the gap. He spans it. That's the beauty that's the wabi-sabi of this. That's the beauty of the gospel. God loves you, and he's been pursuing you, and he is right on your heels. And as soon as we turn around, which is our act of repentance, we find God is right there. And God says, enjoy your life with me at the center. Enjoy your days with me. Enjoy the opportunities and desires in everyday life that I give you. That's really the message of Ecclesiastes. God will change the desires of your heart as you delight in him. 
as you enjoy him, as you walk closely with him as your Savior. And you do that, God will change your desires. Oftentimes the reason we lack joy is because we're pursuing the wrong things, because we have the wrong desires, because we've been delighting in the wrong things. So ultimately, you become like that which you worship. God fashioned you to be his, and someday your body is going to be, you know, mulch-feeding plants. We're all going to be worm food, the Bible says. (coughs) Excuse me. Our body goes into the grave, but our spirit returns to God who gave it. Our soul departs our physical body. This life is just the prelude to the symphony, just the appetizer to the main course. One day we will stand before the living God of the universe, and there you will receive your eternal judgment. And that's when Jesus will be at your side. And you want him then. He needs, if you want him then, he needs to be at your side right now. So pursue life with and in and through and for God right now, so that at the end you're not a decrepit, fallen apart, burned out, sex addict like Solomon, having to write your biography and tell all your grandkids and great-grandkids, please, please, don't do it the way I did it. Don't walk in my steps. I was an idiot. I was a fool. Please use your days more wisely than me, because the days are few and the time moves fast. Solomon did not fully understand the mysteries of God. Some versions of the Bible translate verse 8 as meaningless or vanity or useless. It's the Hebrew word hebel that we talked about in the first couple of episodes. It means, well, it appears some 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. But often when that word is used in other parts of Scripture, particularly in Psalms, it means a vapor or a breath or a mist. And I think that here in the context of chapter 12, It's the poet Solomon speaking, and he's not saying that life is without meaning. He's saying life moves quickly. Life is like a morning mist that soon is gone. Life is like your breath on a cold day that you see and then disappears. Life has moved far faster than Solomon ever anticipated. And so what he says, he says with a great sense of urgency. Remember God. Enjoy your life with God, and as you do, you will find that he will bring you into your life good passions, good desires, good dreams, good joys, good people, the right challenges, meaning, and excitement to share his love with others. Solomon says, remember God. Have a great week.